Hello techies and welcome to another episode of The Code of Career with me, Cameron Blackwood. If you aren't familiar already, this podcast is part of our technology careers network to help you find a job in tech, level up and stand out in this wonderful industry. If you want to find out more about the rest of our offerings and join our exclusive community, you can join thecodacareer.com and fill out your information there. It's totally free. Today's guest on the show is Chase Koher. Chase is born and bred in Austin, Texas, which is quickly becoming one of the most exciting technology cities in the whole world. On today's episode, Chase will tell me more about the Austin tech scene, somewhere where I've never been but I've heard is amazing. We'll also talk about how a career in college basketball ended in tech recruitment for Chase. And something not to be missed is Chase's off-the-cuff total guide to interviewing. It's really quite something. As I previously mentioned, we're currently foregoing a sponsor. Instead, just shouting out our own product, thecodacareer.com. Please go there and check that out if you want to support the show. But for now, it's time to grab a coffee, push those commits, and enjoy the show. Hi, Chase. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Cameron. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Thanks. Not bad. Uh, it's a general theme that I end up talking Well, it's a British thing in general to just talk about the weather all the time anyway. But um, we were just talking about the weather um, offline. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a sunny day in Scotland. We don't get many of those. So, you know, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling positive. How about yourself? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, a, it's a whopping 105 degrees Fahrenheit here in Texas. So it's a, it's a normal day, I must say, yeah. for the summertime <laughs> here in Texas. But uh, you know, shorts and a t-shirt. It's kind of it's kind of the attire you have to rock here in the state of Texas these days. Yeah, I can only imagine, and a and a bottle of water and some aircon, ideally. I think <laughs> uh, that's what I would need. <laughs> so, um, for people that haven't come across you before, um, do you want to give like a brief background about who you are, and and uh, you're you're obviously a business owner as well, so a little about uh, about your business as well. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm based out of Austin, Texas, in the U.S. I started this company uh, with my brother actually about three and a half years ago. So we're a tech recruiting agency that works pretty much exclusively with hyper growth, disruptive tech startups, uh, either based in Austin, Texas, or they have you know an office or a presence here. Um, so it's mostly these kind of stealth mode, you know, usually venture capital backed tech software companies that uh, uh, have something that's interesting, you know, trying to disrupt a certain industry segment, but you know, to them, talent is incredibly valuable when you're that small, you know, each hire can make or break a team or a company. So, uh, that's really where we've kind of focused our efforts is like a high level, highly targeted recruitment for those types of tech companies that are trying to scale. That sounds like a pretty awesome niche. So working with the most innovative companies in one of the most innovative cities in the U S which is one of the most innovative countries in the world. So yeah. What, what, what more would you want? <laughs> I know we've been, we've been so fortunate. I mean, I will say, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's, you know, these companies are, are awesome and a lot of people are very interested in getting involved with them, you know, but they're very picky, you know, small companies, you know, they're very selective about who they want to bring on and, and rightfully so, you know, they're, they want to make sure they build the right team. Uh, so it, it has its challenges, but you're right. I mean, being in, in the greatest city, you know, probably maybe in the world, in the country, as far as tech startup communities, it's it's been pretty pretty phenomenal to be a part of. Yeah, I can I can imagine. So um, something we do at the start of uh, the episodes for, so the audience can get to know you a bit better is we run through just a few quick fire questions, if that sounds good, if, you, if you're up for that. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> what was your first ever computer? It was a Dell Inspiron, maybe? It oh, was a Dell same. laptop. Lab. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I got it for, a, well, we had a family computer, but I got, I got a, an Inspiron for, uh, for uni when I, when, I le- uh, when I left for uni. So um, they're, okay. they're, they're good machines, those. Hey, they worked well. My dad worked for, for Dell. You know, Dell was started here in, in Round Rock, Austin, Texas. Mm. So it's kind of almost frowned upon if you don't use a Dell uh, oh, really? when you probably get your first computer here. But um, but yeah, that's too funny. Yeah, it was, uh, I think I got it right at the end of high school, uh, towards the end of high school. So uh, it's a good computer. <laughs> nice. I didn't, I didn't know Dell was from Texas. That's uh, that, that's interesting. I, yeah, I uh, over here, we always assume everything is from California when it comes to tech, basically. <laughs> But we're here. We're here today to see why that's different. Yeah, <laughs> people think you know. For a while, I think Texas was oil country. I mean, it still is. Mm. Uh, to be fair, like people think of Texas, they think of oil. They think of probably the heat. Um, but uh, it's yeah. Well, we've got a couple of successful tech companies out of here. Believe it or not. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I mean, like Houston's a big like oil town, isn't it? And then, but then you've got, uh, but then Austin—that's where a lot of the really cool innovation is happening in tech. Absolutely, absolutely. And Dallas has got you know Southwest Airlines is headquartered out of Dallas. There's some other really big players there. So, um, so that's kind of the other big city aside from, and then San Antonio, which is an hour south of Austin, and uh, they play around in the energy space. They, they do some interesting stuff as well. So there's some interesting emerging cities in town, but it's certainly, uh, yeah, Houston oil is kind of what Texas seems to be known for. Cowboy, you know, people riding around on horses. Uh, that's kind of people's thought process. I'd love to tell you there was any kind of other stereotype on the other side of the Atlantic here about Texas, but I have to say, like growing up when we were kids, we just thought, oh, it's cowboys, like lassoes, like uh, the longhorn cow, like that. that's all we thought about, like tons of desert and maybe oil when we were a bit older. That's that's what we thought of, but yes. we're going to prove why that's different today. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's remarkable, but yeah, believe it or not, we do have some infrastructure. We have cities and buildings <laughs> and uh, cars and things like that. So um, yeah, Tesla actually just launched a, a big gigafactory here. Elon Musk just kind of announced moving to Austin. I guess this was probably a year or so ago. Um, so I'd, I'd imagine to see quite a few Teslas on the road over here uh, in the near future. Mm, that is, that's really exciting. So I actually heard about that on, um, well, I was listening to Business Wars today. The If you haven't caught the series yet, um, they're doing a really good one of basically Tesla versus General Motors. And uh, they're talking about the whole like uh, the whole uh, idea of coming up with the, the Gigafactory and stuff. So it's very it's a really good series, actually. And uh, yeah, it's funny. I was literally listening to that uh, this morning. And uh, yeah, it just seems like a lot of cool stuff going on in Texas right now. No doubt. No doubt. And I'd love to hear more about, about where, you, where you are. I know you've done quite a bit of work in Europe and there in Scotland. So I'd be curious to kind of hear what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, I've been here, there and everywhere, really, um, throughout my career. Spent a lot of time in London, which is why I don't sound very Scottish. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I mean, a lot of uh, it, it's relatively distributed here, uh, like I think Berlin is the one that people don't realize how good of a city it is for tech. Um, but like Paris as well is underrated. Like uh, uh, Macron has has his uh, has his critics, but his uh, his entrepreneurship and startup policy uh, has meant that uh, the amount of unicorns coming out of Paris, in particular, um, has been pretty impressive over the past few years. And obviously, London, an old old city, maybe my favorite city in the world. Amazing financial technology uh, innovation coming out of there um, at the moment, both in in terms of the more I guess you can say traditional fintech, uh, but then also as well blockchain and Web three. Um, as well. So my, my next quick fire question was actually, I mean, I feel like it's going to be a foregone conclusion. It's what's your favorite tech city? Uh, yeah. I, I feel like I might know the answer here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm a bit biased on this one. I, I think I'd have a lot of friends that, w- that would come over and want to smack me over the head if I said anything but Austin, Texas um, being, being my favorite tech city. Um, though, you know, I, I think to you know, on top of that, you got to you got to talk about some of the big European cities, some of the big low, you know, in the in the U.S. You know, Silicon Valley obviously is kind of the original goat kind of starter of, mm. of tech communities here in the U.S. And a lot of or they get that credit at least. And so you know, I think a lot of you know we learned a lot from how other cities built their tech communities. So I mean, Austin certainly wasn't the first startup community, but uh, I think they have you know the city's put together a pretty unique blend to to encourage tech talent to move here and tech companies to you know people to founders to kind of grow and be willing to take that risk and start their own company raise funding things like that I think that ecosystem is pretty remarkable um, here in Austin. Yeah, I mean the amount uh, the amount we we've started to hear about it really from over the pond is is very exciting. And uh, uh, my final quick fire question is: What job did you want when you were a kid? I did spot on your LinkedIn that you played basketball at a high level. Did you want to be a basketball player? <laughs> yeah, you, you got a good read on me, man. I, I wanted to be I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. There's no doubt about that. Uh, my my dad was a college basketball player. He had he had a ball in my hands from you know the time I was probably two. So. Um, that was always the goal. Uh, unfortunately I, I never grew past six feet tall, which, uh, you know, kind of hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. I, in high school, I was tiny. I hit a growth spurt, believe it or not, once I got to the university and college. So, um, I did get to play college ball for a small school. And, and so I got to somewhat achieve some of that dream. Um, but basketball, yeah, that, that was, that was really what I wanted to achieve. What, what did you want to be when you grew up? 
Um, well, there's the long shot career and the sensible career. So long shot career, professional rugby player. Um, so I'm still chasing the dream now at 26, turning 27 in a few weeks. Wow. Uh, I'm still playing uh, for one of Edinburgh's teams here. And uh, yeah, in like I think I'm, I play in like the sixth or seventh division in Scotland. So very low down, but you know, still love it. Weekend warrior. Right get yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I loved it. It's, um, it's huge in schools. Uh, well, both in England and Scotland, it's huge in the schools here. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's not, not quite on the level of, uh, of American college sports. So, cause like I, I, I caught a, um, I caught a game in DC actually, but, um, NCAA basketball game. And I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't imagine people like university sports in the UK is maybe like a hundred people show up to the side of the rugby field and they've got some warm beers with them and like they're just like <laughs> shouting like abuse at their mates while they play you know <laughs> which sounds fun to be fair yeah. but yeah that's college sports here i mean it's a business man i mean there's just thousands of that and in austin we got university of texas and they've you know they're 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 athletes might as well be professional athletes i mean they walk around town people mm. know who they are you know and uh you know gosh i think our the football stadium i think 70,000 people 80,000 people it might be even more than that honestly so every saturday here in austin whether it's a home game or away game that's pretty much what you'll see yeah it's that's crazy. pretty cool it's uh yeah it's always been really interesting to me because uh obviously it's, it's just a it's a uniquely american thing which is um it's pretty cool to uh uh the whole school spirit thing whereas over here like people just grumble about like they don't think their lectures were good enough or uh <laughs> we feel like we owe too much as student loads and all the rest of it we don't we don't that's get to like important. cheer on yeah <laughs> yeah on the grand scheme of what college is supposed to do yeah I, I guess you know probably we should pay a little more attention to lectures maybe here in the u.s but um but football does i guess we learn some social cues and things like that <laughs> yeah oh yeah we love our sports why ever not oh actually i didn't say my my sensible uh job actually so my sensible job would be it's not actually sensible but a um a war zone journalist would be my sensible job which again is not sensible but it's more feasible than professional rugby player <laughs> yeah hey <laughs> gotta chase your dreams man a war zone very interesting so yeah is that something you're going to pursue or what probably not no i'm probably going to stick with writing code to be honest it's yeah. somewhat safer um <laughs> i think it was just uh you know i was like 15 when like vice was at its peak like making uh making documentaries on on like conflicts around the world and i just thought like those reporters were very tough and like wanted to report stories that weren't being reported by the mainstream media and I, I thought, you know, if I, I, I would love to report from conflict zones and and talk about, you know, um, talk about like story uh, like stories that weren't being reported in, in the mainstream. So yeah, um, I, I was very serious on it, and then uh, and then I realised, wait a minute, that is actually a very hazardous job. And um, <laughs> funnily enough, I actually started, uh, I, I graduated university, and then I was a technical recruiter myself for um, three years, you. and then I learned to code. So um, it was a weird, weird story. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine it. I think, uh, uh, you know, I, I had a similar journey, though. I haven't gotten into the coding yet. It's been on top of mind um, <laughs> to just get to a code camp and start finally getting my fingers on the keyboard. But uh, the recruiting space keeps me busy enough at this point. <laughs> I'll warn you, it's very addictive. I mean, how, how did you get into recruitment um, to start with? Because it, it's not as a mature industry in the States yet, is it? Because it, it's huge here. But I, I read that apparently America had its boom much more recently. Yeah, I'm not. I'd have to look into why why there was a, a delay there. I know, um, you know, I worked with Ronstadt out of college, who I think they're a Dutch company, and they, I guess they had been a staffing company for like a hundred years or something of that nature. So <laughs> I think they've been around quite a, quite a long time. But um, we, you know, I, out of college after playing sports, business degree, you know, was looking at you know all the different tech companies in Austin and probably being in a sales type position. Um, I just, uh, the concept of connecting dots, like I always growing up felt like that. I love to be that person that, that knew a bunch of different people and could kind of connect like-minded parties. And I think probably being in, in competitive sports, you know, got recruited by some places, uh, you know, saw a lot of people get recruited by bigger schools and bigger opportunities. Um, and I think I just loved the idea of somebody that, that kind of connected dots and really maybe wasn't the, the, you know, 4.0 uh, Harvard grad, smartest person in the room, um, but knew how to connect the smartest person in the room with someone else that, that could be engaging. Um, so I, I think I just really enjoyed that. Um, and, and basically, you know, out of those tech jobs in Austin, ended up 
the highest paying one was in the recruiting space. Um, so I got to be honest, that, that was the main driver. Uh, and also that enabled me to kind of be an outside sales. Like I could go, you know, meet with people face to face. I wasn't going to sit there and cold call all day, every day. So that was the, that was the draw for me. And then, uh, you know, I guess fast forward nine years or fast forward five years. Um, and I was in a position to start my own company and, you know, uh, the last three and a half, four years we've been doing that. So it's, it's been quite the journey and the recruiting space has been obviously very friendly to me. So I'm, I'm grateful for it, but it is, it was something new. I'm not sure what the delay was compared to what is it like in, in, in Europe and in Scotland, places like that. So it's very, um, it's very competitive, uh, is is the word I'd use. Like, um, I read some stat, I, I can't believe it's true because there must, maybe it's a lot of like one person shops here, but, uh, Someone told me that so the uh, the like uh, the like Beltway like uh, bypass um, road around London is called the M25, and I read that apparently there's thirty thousand recruitment agencies within that within that road, which is what? yeah, it's <laughs> um, so it's it's pretty crazy. Like uh, you know, um, yeah. So it, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of people that that recruit um, for for technology. So it's it's just become something where because um, for whatever reason, there's not that many barriers to entry to setting one up here. Um, and there's kind of, it's kind of a proven path. So it's become quite competitive. So I think a lot of companies then started from Europe in general, then moved over and set up American arms, um, kind of doing the same thing, but they realized, uh, that actually like there was less competition out there to start with, although obviously now I'm sure it's competitive. Um, so I guess that's why it happened, but I mean, I read stories, um, and like heard stories when I started about how like in the nineties in London, um, you'd get guys driving around with CVs on mopeds and uh, delivering them like, uh, and uh, the CVs getting robbed off people and that kind of thing. Cause it was, it just got so cutthroat at one point. It's a, yeah, it, yeah. it was a strange world from what I heard back in the nineties, <laughs> pre internet. I think LinkedIn put a stop to all that. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I know. I, I remember in college, I mean, my dad, you know, kind of talking to me about making sure I'm mailing out my resume to all these, you know, tech, you know, all the companies in town and, um, I mean, indeed, it come around. Obviously, LinkedIn, job, you know, applying to jobs that way, it also become pretty prevalent. But uh, yeah, it doesn't. It wasn't that far off, I guess, that people were delivering resumes on their bike just the door to door. I can only imagine that might have been more interesting, maybe now than just sending over via email resumes. It's, it's kind of a, a little That's less. That's the funny fun, thing. It, it goes full circle, really, doesn't it? And then people start doing that as a stunt. Um, and the other one where people made loads of money was construction recruitment. So. If you basically just called in like a building site manager and just be like, yeah, I'll get you a hundred people to like work on your site. Um, and then you would basically make like, um, you'd make like, uh, 10 pounds per day off each person that worked on the site as like your, as like your brokerage fee. Um, like that was huge. I don't know how big that is anymore, but, um, that was absolutely massive apparently in like the nineties. So it's, uh, you know, I think maybe it's just, uh, it's, it's called, it's calmed down a little bit. I wouldn't say it's cooled down. It's still a huge industry here. Um, but it's, uh, it's calmed down, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is, uh, if you want me to ask him, what's the, the stereotype connotation to, to recruiters in, in your, is it positive or is it kind of, <laughs> it, it depends really um among the tech community it's i would say it maybe leans negative but a lot of people the way people approach approach it uh, a lot of the time as developers i mean my, i do this myself um i work with like i know three or four agency recruiters that i like really trust and um only one or two of them have actually got me a job, but I, I speak with these three or four people um, because I, I know they've got like a decent eye on the market. And it's like um, people basically try and find a couple of people to partner with throughout their careers. So it's like the the stereotype, um, and this is very uniquely British, is uh, someone who like um, does, you know, gets his commission check and then spends it all down, down at the pub on pints, you know, and uh, <laughs> trying to trying to show off a little bit and, uh, yes. you know, uh, accidentally blows his entire commission check over the weekend. That's the stereotype. <laughs> The truth, it's a bit of an unfair stereotype because, you know, developers don't like it when people say, oh, we just spend all day hunched over like coding uh, because it's not the truth. And it's not, yeah, there's probably some recruiters that enjoy the weekend, but there's plenty of developers that do as well. Heck yeah, heck yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I can see the stereotype, yeah, the stereotype, uh, I mean, I'm I'm sure engineers get a stereotype, you know, certainly get a stereotype as do, I know recruiters here in the States, yeah, it's it's a very dicey relationship with with talent, especially the technical talent. I, I think they understand that they, 
can benefit from each other. But, uh, you know, uh, I think there's always sometimes the concern of like, you know, one's taking advantage of the other. And I guess yeah. it just kind of comes with the nature of it. That's definitely some, sometimes it comes up here. Like, um, I, I, I assume it, it wasn't a thing in the States, but we had a, a show called only fools and horses, um, where basically yeah. it was these two guys and, um, it's, it's a bizarre, it's one of those stupid British humor shows that just seem weird to everyone else, but it is quite funny. It's these two guys, um, who always try some money-making scheme and the lead guy is called Del boy and he's very cockney. Um, and, uh, so a lot of like, um, a lot of recruiters like, uh, you know, if uh, like as a kind of a banter thing, get called sort of Del Boy and that kind of thing. <laughs> they were always that guy in school that was, you know, selling uh, selling the sweets out of his locker or something like that, make a bit of yes. make a bit of cash. That's probably more of the the stereotype you get sometimes. Interesting, <laughs> interesting. I can see it. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I mean, obviously, uh, we were saying beforehand about the market segments of the show. I reckon about twenty five percent are American are listeners, and the rest are, are over here in Europe primarily. Um, how how do you think the American and, and in particular the Austin tech scene is different to maybe how things are here in Europe? Yes, uh, I, I was, and I honestly had to do. You know, you get so so much tunnel vision maybe in the tech space. Some days you kind of forget that there are other <laughs> countries and areas that are that are utilizing <laughs> and doing similar things. Um, I don't know if that's an American thing or a Texan thing, but um, I was I was on a Wall Street Journal article and it was talking about European investments. Um, you know, whether it be venture capital, private equity was was up one hundred and forty two percent year over year. I guess from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one, which was like eye-opening to me, um, mm. you know, because we, we've certainly, you know, here in Austin, especially there is a, you know, a lot of, a lot of software companies, there's a lot of accelerator programs, incubators, um, kind of a infrastructure that's set up for a tech founder or an early stage company to thrive. Um, but it's, you know, obviously it's, it's very competitive as well. And, and that kind of requires as a company, you know, you either need to be super profitable or have raised enough funding that you can go out and compete for the best talent in town. Um, and to compete, quote unquote, you, you obviously need a competitive product. You need the team culture, you know, whatever your selling points are, but, but, you know, as we all know what the brass tax common thing comes down to money um, mm. and, and what can you offer talent? And if they're getting, you know, we have a, a big presence of fang companies here in Austin from, um, you know, so how do you compete with the Facebook, Google, Amazon offers here in town? How does a startup compete with that? I think that's the interesting thing about the Austin community is, you know, it was built for startups and we have a lot of startups that came here, but along with that came the Tesla, Facebook, Amazon, Google, you name it, they're here now. Um, so now, you know, those very startups that came here for the talent are now having to compete with, with those kind of big names. Um, and, and maybe you can't offer the same money as them. I, I don't think that's expected by candidates. Uh, I think candidates enjoy going to a smaller, more disruptive environment, you know, if they're the right type of person for that. Um, but it's just, you know, that venture capital funding can really uh, enable you to be more competitive um, and kind of level that playing field a little bit. Um, but in, in regard to and how that compares to Europe, I, I guess I, that was the other thing I was looking at is kind of the top 100 most valuable companies in the U.S. I think about 40 of them were software companies, whereas uh, in Europe, it was like, I think I think I wrote it down. Seven of the 100 were software companies that were the wow. top 100 most valuable. So I, I thought that was a really interesting delta as well. Um, so I, I mean, obviously, I'd lean on you as as the expert mm. there to maybe talk about what you see as the differences between the markets. But I just thought that was fascinating when I was reading into it. Yeah, we we definitely have more sort of like older style business practices at the same time. It's it's a bit strange. Like the culture has changed very rapidly, but I think America had a bit more of a revolution around this stuff around when, um, you know, when, when stuff like Facebook really, really popped off and uh, the whole sort of social network generation. I think America almost had more of a boom of it where kids wanted to be coders uh, earlier on. And whereas we've only had that more recently in Europe. Um, as for what it is, I don't know. Um, maybe I, I think our government has been a bit less, uh, I say that like we're one, we're, obviously we don't have one European government, but European governments on the whole have been less startup friendly compared to America, uh, to American ones. So, you know, if you gave me a blank slate and you told me, oh, you've got to set up a business in, in the US or, or Europe, I, I would, I would choose the US. Um, so it, it's, it's less friendly to startups here in, in, in general, but um, they are rapidly trying to change that. So it's a it's an interesting one. Um, and I, I didn't realize that it was as low as only seven out of 100. Um, but it, that is, uh, 
hopefully that will change <laughs> um, yeah. because we've, we've got to kind of adapt. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it's a weird, uh, it's a, I can't think of the right word. It's a weird contrast though, because actually compared to uh, maybe Austin's a bit different, but compared to the average American city, actually our technology in terms of like the average day, the average citizens like day to day life, uh, is much better integrated. So like when I went to New York, um, maybe two, just before COVID, so two and a half years ago, um, I found it really weird that I couldn't use my contactless or my Apple Pay like anywhere. And I just <laughs> I, I just didn't understand that. And stuff like, um, you know, paying for subways felt a bit more like archaic. So our kind of yeah. day-to-day technology like experience, customer journey or UX is actually much more advanced compared to US, but actually mostly in is conversely is coming out of the US so it's a, it's a real it's a real strange one and I can't really put my finger on it um it, it's weird to, to put it bluntly <laughs> yeah I'm sure if we knew the answer you know the, one of the two governments would be paying us a lot more money than we're making now to, to, to give them that solution <laughs> um but it, that does that is fascinating yeah I, I guess you would have more experience having been uh in the European markets and then also coming and seeing the US markets i I have failed to get to Europe yet in my lifetime, so it's it's on the to do list. But um, but that's interesting. There, and subways are archaic. There are a lot of things I think in the U.S. that for some reason, you know, I don't know whether it's capitalism or just the way the governments are manage things. But you know, we certainly have a lot of innovation in companies, but our infrastructure sometimes mm. is a little behind. That's the one thing I always find really weird when I when I go to states is. Um, uh, well, one, that people don't use public transport that much. And two, you can't really walk anywhere. Uh, so <laughs> we're so used to walk everywhere. It's like, um, for like want of trying, it's just because like the road system, I guess, like yeah. you'll try and route like a half mile walk and you'll have to walk down a highway or something. It's like, <laughs> that's not possible. You know, it's, um, it, it's an interesting, uh, I guess it's just because, because of the way the cities are built. And, um, I wonder if that will start to change a little bit. Certainly. Uh, it's been uh, Austin, Texas, honestly, is a prime case study you could read on just, you know, anticipating growth, um, but not getting them. And, and that's not abnormal for any city, I guess. But, you know, we saw the growth was coming and and the infrastructure just never was catching up to that. Um, so as a result, you know, our traffic, and all those types of things, I guess, are, you know, we don't really have much, many forms of public transportation. I think we're, we have a train now and uh, I think Elon Musk is talking about building an underground tunnel train from mm. Austin to other cities in the state, which sounds great, but also sounds like a 20 plus year um, kind of journey. So, um, yeah, we could use a little more technology, I think, here. We want to build Hyperloop as well, doesn't he? Through uh, through the deserts, which I think would be pretty pretty cool if that if that gets pulled off. Because for so a country cool. like the states, because obviously for us, everything's so close together. Like, actually, we yeah. can just take the train. Like, if I want to get the train down to London, it's the other end of the country. It takes me, like, four hours. But, like, yeah. I could, I, I imagine that train journey to, I don't know, if you want to go to Ohio from Texas or somewhere, like, yeah. it, that's going to be, like, 25 hours. So I can see why something like Hyperloop would be so good for a country like the States or somewhere like Australia. Exactly. I mean, even just to get out of the state of Texas, I mean, it's, it's essentially <laughs> a a five to eight hour drive just to get out of the state, uh, you know, much less... Uh, Across the country to Ohio, so uh, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Me too. Although I do get motion sickness, so I hope they manage mm. to iron out those issues if there are. <laughs> um, That's a big one. So, <laughs> so enough with my with my with my TMIs here uh, from myself. <laughs> but um, when you're uh, you're obviously right on the forefront of the recruiting scene um, for uh, technology in Austin, what what do you find are the jobs you're you're tending to recruit for at the moment? Is there any technologies you you really see emerging? Because kind of what's happening in Austin is kind of an indicator of what's going to be happening in the wider technology world. I'd say. You know, really, uh, over the last probably six to 12 months, you know, we, we've seen a major, we've seen just a growth in in value for uh, data engineering, you know, data science, I, I think had, had, has come around, but a lot of kind of that hybrid of someone that understands the data science, but also has the coding chops to kind of develop platforms or ingesters that, that can actually manipulate and, and kind of figure out what to do with that data, a lot of ETL related stuff. So. I'd say that's certainly a theme we've seen. Um, we've also seen it on the infrastructure side. So, you know, the quote unquote DevOps, infrastructure engineer, site reliability engineer, whatever title you want to you want to go mm -hmm. with. Uh, I think it's kind of the combination of taking coders that also, you know, 
uh, can do microservices and system at, you know, have the system admin chops, but they also have the coding chops. So I think that's kind of what we're seeing is like coders that can also do data specific things or cloud specific things or um, front end, back end, full stack is always going to be probably important coding experience. Um, and then product design. I think user experience, you know, UX product design has, has become super uh, prevalent, at least here in Austin, as far as I think valuing it. Um, uh, you know, I think there's always been the need for, for UX designers, but uh, I think calling them product designers and really kind of paying them more, probably almost as much as engineers, if not more, um, and, and ensuring that the usability of their application is top tier. So not just creating a great app isn't just the challenge anymore. It's also obviously making sure us humans that aren't always the sharpest tools in the shed are, are able to actually use the app and we'll keep, we'll keep using the app. Yeah, definitely. And I think as someone that does a lot of front end myself, I'm very, very grateful when I'm working with a good designer uh, because it is just people don't appreciate how hard it is to design stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I, when I've tried it myself, I, I, I cannot do it. I have no artistic yeah. vision whatsoever. <laughs> I'm the same way. And I think, you know, it's, it's also a fascinating skill set to recruit for, um, because in a lot of ways, it's kind of beauty is an eye of the beholder. Like, mm. you know, that piece of art to me looks amazing, but to you, it, it might be kind of an ugly piece of art. So I think designers deal with the same way. They, they might have a style or a certain way that they do things that, you know, to one company looks amazing and to another, it may not be as valuable. So it's difficult to kind of identify with the company that's looking for a product designer, you know, who, you know, what is the beauty, art, design, user experience that you want? Um, and then trying to f- match that with portfolios and different, you know, designers in town. It, it, it's a, it's a fascinating challenge. Um, it can be frustrating, but it's, it's also, <laughs> you know, I, it's also really fun. Yeah. Um, if that doesn't sum up recruitment, I don't know what does. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> Something I wanted to ask you about as well, actually, was um, consensus is being held in Austin this year, right? Uh, are you noticing a lot of like blockchain and Web3 stuff uh, going on in town um, at the moment? Yes. Yeah. Great one. Um, uh, I think blockchain's been certainly more and more. I think Coinbase has a, kind of a studio here. Uh, there's certainly a growing interest in fintech companies here. You know, fintech. I think it's been pretty popular in Austin, but especially, you know, with blockchain coming in and, and crypto uh, has, become, has grown to be a pretty uh, attractive area in town. Um, but I also think, you know, obviously a lot of companies are utilizing blockchain, not just for crypto, but, you know, in different way for data security and different things like that. So um, we certainly see, have seen quite a bit of interest in that. Now, with the volatility of the crypto market, I think there's a lot of talent that that kind of second guesses, um, you know, is that a risk reward that they want to take? Um, but there's certainly a lot of interest and a lot of companies that are kind of emerging that are just on the bleeding edge of, of trying new things. Mm. And for context for listeners, we're recording this on Monday, the 13th of June 2022. And it has not been a good day for uh, anyone with any <laughs> remote interest in crypto. It is. I looked at my yes. phone and it was on its own. So I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Like when... <laughs> When I when I saw, I hate to laugh at it. Yeah. I was like, "There goes my future kids' inheritance!" Like right there. <laughs> that was the college yeah. fund. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, I think yeah, it's interesting. We'll we'll find talent that's just like you know, don't even hit, don't even hit me up unless you've got something, you know, blockchain crypto related, and then you got others that are just like, nope, like I, you know, you could pay me a million dollars a year, and I'm still not interested. I'm like, All right, fair enough. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. People have very they're very decisive. They're very, uh, I guess, opinionated on where they stand on on that mm. one, which is always interesting. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I think as well, I mean, there's obviously what people think about the future te- of that technology, but then developers' risk tolerance as well. Like, do you do you take that step and do you join an early stage startup and potentially get that lottery ticket uh, by having some equity yeah. vested like early on in that in that company, or do you you know quote unquote play it safe because it's still hard to get into a fang, but like earn like good money for the rest of your life basically almost certainly so it's a difficult trade-off and i mean you're in a good position if you're choosing between those two to be fair exactly and that's you know a lot of people view the fangs as kind of like their stamp of approval in some ways of like hey if i got facebook on my resume like i'll never have a problem finding another job i think even if you didn't have facebook on your resume you have some notable startups you're not gonna have a hard time finding a job in the u.s for for software engineering uh even if you know we're we're looking down the scope of potentially an economic issue here in the States, you know, if not the 
in the world, but especially here in the U.S. So I think the concern is kind of, you know, what industries are going to survive that, thrive through that, you know, be taken down by that. Uh, so I think there's a lot of concern there. But even with that, uh, you know, we saw it through COVID, you know, the demand for software engineering and specifically tech and product talent, just um, it just stays incredibly strong. Um, so it is, it is, you know, if you're an engineer, you're all right. Yeah. Usually. There just hasn't been a dip in demand for software engineers since really 2008. And, you know, even then that was a fairly small blip. I mean, the only big dip was 2000. So let's hope that doesn't happen again. Um, but you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens in five years time. Like if this growth can be sustained because it's a trend worldwide, like unlike many others, really like maybe finance in the eighties is the only one I could think of. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's a great analogy. And, and, and honestly, you mentioned it earlier, the the upcoming, you know, the talent pool of engineers, like how is it software engineers, computer science talent, IT talent, like how, you know, how is that going to grow in these next generations that are coming up that have been using an iPhone since they were five years old um, or playing on an iPad when they were, you know, a toddler? Like, you know, I think I'd imagine those those types of generations that are coming up with that technology, you know, might have more interest in computer science. We might see you know, a larger pool of talent coming out each year from universities and colleges that uh, is actually more pointed that way. And mm -hmm. it may it may even change the quote unquote stereotype of, <laughs> you know, the person that sits in and, and, and codes all day. You know, I've got a, a lot of a lot of collegiate athletes that uh, at my alma mater are actually getting into computer science. Mm -hmm. So it's just jocks, you know, as computer science degrees. Yeah, I guess I like the mix. I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, there's three, <laughs> three lads on my rugby team are computer scientists. So, you know, it, it's it's the there stereotype is changing slowly. Um, yeah. But, you know, we're still <laughs> massive nerds, but, you know, we just like uh, running headfirst <laughs> into people every weekend. Uh, but uh, <laughs> just knocking out all the JavaScript knowledge from our heads uh, that we gain throughout the week, you know. <laughs> Oh man, no, that rugby's not for the yeah the week of heart, man. That's uh, a tough sport. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun, and um, yeah, in this city in Edinburgh, it's like uh, it's like religion. Like the mood when when Scotland are in town and we're play, especially when playing England. Like I was in the yeah. stadium when we played England this year, and it was it takes a bit of explaining with my accent sometimes. Um, but like it was yeah. uh, it was crazy because Scotland won right at the right at the end. Uh, I'm probably annoying the wow. English listeners now by by bringing this game up <laughs> probably the fifth time on a tech podcast in the last like <laughs> two months. But you know, I find any excuse. <laughs> hey, you got to plug it in there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hey, there's always next year. There's always next year for the English. Yeah, yeah there is That's always right. next year. Yeah, um, which is always a war prospect when when you support scotland there is always next year uh <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> hey there cam here hope you're enjoying this week's episode of the code of career this is just a quick shout out to the rest of our careers network did you know you can also find us on tiktok instagram youtube and many more most importantly we have a discord server you can access that by going to the and filling out your email where you'll be sent an invite link now back to the show what tips would you give people who are earlier in their career to stand out both in that initial application, but then also the interview process? So maybe someone that's going for their first or second job, they don't know how they can really stand out from other people in the industry. Yes. Um, so, you know, if you're looking for jobs, I mean, I think we've kind of alluded to already, but being involved on social media, LinkedIn, you know, having a LinkedIn profile that's fairly updated uh, paying attention to actually your connectivity there, you know, connecting with colleagues and friends of yours. Um, maybe not so, you know, not like Facebook where you're going to be <laughs> sending them pictures of your family every month, you know, and letting them know you just had a new kid or whatever. Like, you know, in this case, it's you want to be connected for the future. You're going to be connected because obviously your news feed will be populated with info that, you know, of other like minded people that you've worked with. Um, and and I say that also because if you're looking for your first, second, third job, um, you want to use you want to utilize your connectivity um to first off find new jobs i mean a referral being referred by a current employee is the number one way of securing a new job um so if you're if you and also it, it probably gives you a little bit uh more security in that you know if your friend is working at a company you can call them up and, and find out you know what they actually think like they'll actually provide you probably a transparent this is what you'd be getting into this is what to expect versus if you're kind of just blindly going into a company interviewing there and you don't know anyone that's involved there, you know, you're going to be taking a risk because you're going to be trusting what you were told in interviews, maybe what you read on Glassdoor. But aside from that, you don't have kind of the inside scoop. 
Um, so I, I think that's an, an advantage that I always suggest people kind of, t- you know, capitalize on and also, you know, alumni from universities, colleges, um, you know, connect, looking into these companies that you're applying to jobs for, see if there's anybody there that went to the same uni as you, you know, send them a connection invite, maybe try to take them to coffee. Just, I think those are like the extra mile type things as a job seeker. Um, that can kind of really get you a, a potentially a dream job or a job that you can feel really happy about at the end of the day. Um, but, you know, we were talking about a bit earlier as well, but recruiters aren't software engineers. Um, so if you're a tech, if you're a tech person, you're a product person at your sale, whatever, whatever your skill set is, I think you have to keep in mind that recruiting recruiters in the recruiting industry you know, they aren't experts per se in what you do. Now, they certainly study it and they certainly have been trained to understand the keywords, especially in software recruiting. You have to know all the acronyms and keywords. Um, so people and, and LinkedIn is one of the most popular places to recruit. So I would just suggest if you're trying to get more eyes on your profile to ensure that you that you're making it easier for those recruiters to find you um, and and knowing that they you know, they may not be as sharp uh, as as what you'd want. Um, but if you're doing a lot of Python, you're doing a lot of Node, or you're interested in getting into infrastructure engineering or DevOps, like, you know, have those keywords, have those things listed throughout your LinkedIn profile, your resume, uh, just, to, just to increase your odds of kind of showing up in those searches by recruiters. Um, the last thing, and I think a, a big one is, is in the interview process, you know, how to stand out. Um, I get asked that quite a bit. Uh, obviously there's, there's an unlimited amount on Google of like ways to do an interview, ways to knock out an interview. Um, a a big thing that I've always, you know, suggested and heard from candidates is, is doing your due diligence on the people you're meeting with. Um, you know, actually looking at the LinkedIn profile or looking, you know, Googling the name of the person you're going to be interviewing with. And it, it kind of, you know, it gives you a, security blanket or kind of a fallback of, you know, if there's ever an awkward silence or there's a moment of, you know, you want to show them how genuine you are or how much you care about that interview process, uh, bringing up something that you researched or bringing up that, hey, I noticed that, you know, you went to this college, you know, um, how was it, how was it growing up in that town? I mean, people that are conducting interviews, they're used to just asking questions and never getting asked about themselves. So if you can bring a couple questions to the table that also show that you did some research, uh, that that truly does help you stand out, especially if that company's core values are around, you know, extra mile, hard work, uh, attention to detail. You, you can kind of almost brag by the way you ask certain questions. Um, so I, I would just say, don't be that person that's like, nope, I don't have any questions. Uh, I think I would always have one or two that you kind of uh, customize to that person or to that company just to show your level of interest and, and half the time companies are looking for great technical talent, but they want that culture fit. You know, they want that person that's going to fit in with their team and their culture. So that's just an easy way that I always suggest to people just kind of, you know, just take a couple extra minutes before any interview you do and just kind of dig into some of the core values and the person that you're speaking with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're trying to get a job right now, I highly recommend you just wind that back five minutes and just listen again. If you didn't catch all of that, (laughs) because just take some notes off that, off that, because that was brilliant advice and like I, I totally agree with all of it and uh, you know the things like asking uh, it's such a win-win in the interview situation by asking people about either themselves or about the company you are buying yourself some time preventing awkward silences and also making yourself look better um, and really you can you can also be strategic with it as well as uh, something I like to tell people is maybe ask uh, maybe ask the recruiter or, or HR person um, like about the company culture because chances are they probably helped on the employer branding side of things and um, they'll be uh, happy and, and, and pleased to talk about that sort of thing because it reflects our work and then on the engineering side like talk about you know what projects they've delivered on recently what the plan is over the next three years or so because then that shows you're more in there for the long haul um, so you know there's so much you can do with it and yeah I totally agree with all of that and especially the networking piece like it, you know, you never know where that first job is going to come from. So, um, you know, keep in touch with everyone, use your LinkedIn, like the amount of developers I meet that just don't have LinkedIn is, is scary. Cause like, you've got to get found. How else are you going to get found? Like, uh, you know, um, unfortunately recruiters aren't going to be on random obscure discords, uh, talking about like the latest, like, uh, <laughs> random JavaScript <laughs> frameworks, like tips, like, you know, it's just not, you need to be yeah. realistic and like put yourself in the shop window a little bit, you know? <laughs> 
Absolutely. No, and, and yeah, sorry to go on a soliloquy there of like a five minute no, rant on, on interviews, but uh, I think, you know, the, I think there's so much that comes to mind. Sometimes I'm like trying to squeeze it all into this little area, but um, I, you kind of hit on a second ago. I mean, even when you asked me, you know, what I want to be when I grew up, you're like, hey, I noticed you played, you know, basketball in college, like, like just the com the comfortability for me and just kind of my like willingness to open up and kind of relate that you're also an athlete and we could talk about that. Uh, I think those little things just really do make a world of difference if you're really fighting to get into a, a company that you're really passionate about, really interested in. Um, the, la the last suggestion I would say is don't, ev you know, don't be vague when it comes to describing your skill set. Like I think people struggle, especially engineers struggle with kind of like, I'm so good at Java or I'm good mm -hmm. at this, I'm good at that. It's like, try do your best, obviously, to, to try to give examples of you know, in my current, you know, last year, our company was running into this microservice issue that, you know, uh, something was going wrong. And, you know, I stayed up, you know, 24 hours and, and wrote out, you know, X number of lines of code in Python to, to kind of fix the problem, like giving specific examples versus just speaking kind of vaguely about your skill. Um, and if you can somehow translate or like parallel that problem to maybe a problem this company's facing, like you could say, you know, um, noticed you guys just passed 5,000 users. You know, when we dealt with that in my current company, this was a big challenge that we faced and this is how I conquered it or this is how, you know, I helped the team complete it. Um, you know, those are extra value type statements that you can make in an interview as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the perfect kind of thing to be saying. And I, I think in general, if, if people remember just in a general theme um, it, uh, as well, it's just think, what am I adding to the bottom line here? Because like in brutal terms, like you're being hired for a reason and that's the add value to the company. And it's like, how am I either saving right. this company money or making this company money? And how can I do that? Because as a developer, there's a lot of ways like, yes, you know, yes we're artists and all the rest of it like you know i don't get me wrong i love coding but like at the end of the day we're not being hired to like do beautiful code like we're, we're, we're being hired to either make or save money uh, to be blunt yeah um so you know it, it's it, like always think of it with that uh with, with that in mind uh, I, I would advise people as well and that really ties in nicely to what you're saying like particularly stuff like user thresholds and stuff like that's a amazing kind of challenge um, for someone to have come. Are you sure you're not a, uh, a developer? <laughs> <laughs> a thousand percent sure. <laughs> uh, I, I did our website. If you want proof of my uh, lack of engineering skills, go to our website. <laughs> nice, nice. And um, I mean, if we're talking, uh, looking to the future now, obviously you are uh, you are a born and bred Austinite. Um, what do you see as the future of, uh, of the tech scene uh, over in Austin? And why should people that are maybe here in Europe or or elsewhere in the States, why, why should they consider moving to Austin? Yeah, uh, it's uh, Austin is an incredible place. Uh, you know, I think it's it's grown to a point where it's no longer just a town. Uh, I think we're, we've been the top place to one of the one of the two top places to live. They, they, you know, they come out with a list every year of the top 10 places to live in the U.S. Um, we've been one or two for like a decade now. Um, so it's no longer a secret. I think a lot of people have come to Austin. Now Austin's kind of, you know, typical downtown was really cool. Now all the suburbs are getting a little more expensive to live in. Um, so I don't know, you know, some of some of my local people here might get mad if I try to encourage more people to move here. But at the same time, um, that's part of, you know, that's part of the startup ecosystem. That's part of the growth of a town that turns into a major city. Uh, I think the cool part about Austin is you get a little bit of West Coast, you get a little bit of East Coast, you get a, you get a kind of a mosh pit of different cultures and people that come from different tech ecosystems, and they're kind of blending everything together. Um, you know, we're centrally located in the U.S., so it's kind of like a, a, the middle. We're almost like a middleman, middlewoman for um, for how everything rolls. Um, I think we've got some really cool, exciting nightlife and music things of that nature, but we also have a very competitive business uh, landscape. Um, so I, I think the future is, the future is, is, is interesting, fascinating, scary, exciting, you know, when it comes to this growth, when it comes to the big companies, the big players moving to town, um, it, it's always very disruptive to a startup ecosystem to have some major enterprise companies that are going to be hiring as aggressively as, you know, the Fang companies and Teslas mm -hmm. and things like that. So, um, you know, we're excited. I think the more talent that can come here, the better, because uh, there's a lot of jobs, there's more jobs than there are people. Um, but if you do come here, be prepared for hundred degree, uh, hundred degree Fahrenheit summers. Um, it does get pretty darn hot here. Uh, 
but, uh, but yeah, and I think on the software front, I mean, automation, you know, so much is being automated. Um, but, you know, even recruiting, there's a lot of AI being applied to how recruiting works. So uh, I think the landscape is a constant shift when it comes to software. Uh, but that's part of what the allure or the excitement is of it is, you know, Austin is a different place every day. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really cool. And, and you know, it's 100% somewhere that uh, I, I want to visit one day for sure. And I'm sure the listeners will as well uh, now. And uh, if people want to get in touch um, with you about like potential roles in Austin or, or, you know, anywhere else you happen to be recruiting, like what what's the best way for people to either get in touch with you or, or keep in touch with you for future? Absolutely. Uh, you know, <laughs> Uh, I swear LinkedIn should be paying me for my endorsements, but uh, link, LinkedIn is usually the best way to go. Um, it's Chase Coer, K-O-C-H-E-R, um, AIM number four, Hire, H-I-R-E uh, is our company. So um, I'd say finding me on LinkedIn is usually the way to go. Um, but, um, you know, I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, things like that under the same name. So it, I guess a little less talk about technology in those places, but, you know, I do my best. Cool. Sounds good. Maybe a bit more basketball chat on those ones. A lot more basketball. <laughs> a lot more basketball, a lot more on the lake, you know, enjoying the, the out, outdoors life here in Austin. That sounds good. You're, you're selling it to me. You're selling it to me. I've got to say it sounds really good. Um, but yeah, Chase, thanks so much for coming on today. It's been really awesome and insightful to speak with you. And like I said, I'm sure you've probably got a lot of uh, uh, Europeans that may be sick of the, the rain and the cold and the high taxes that are thinking about potentially heading out to the land of cowboys to be a coder out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, come on down. Yeah, I'll save a horse for you. Um, you just <laughs> you just come on down. I think, um, yeah, we've, we see more and more companies from overseas launching offices here. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of exciting opportunities to, to come across the pond. Absolutely. Exciting times. Well, thanks again for your time. And it's been, uh, been really great speaking with you. Absolutely, Karen. Take care. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Coder Career. Please find all the links that relate to me and Chase's discussion in the description below. And also as well, please do check us out on thecodacareer.com. That's thecodacareer.com. But until then, I hope you have a great week and happy coding. <laughs>